There is no doubt that the business sector wields plenty of power. Power that can shape the world and if applied with a conscience, positively impact all spheres of civilization. In Conscious Conversations, I, Carmen Murray, chat with a fascinating array of industry leaders and pioneers to explore how doing business with a greater good in mind can lead to better returns and a better South Africa for all. Join me on my voyage of discovery and together we'll unearth the value, nobility, prosperity and opportunity that is part and parcel of ethical capitalism. Hello, hello, um, Conscious Tribe. Welcome to yet another episode where we explore conscious conversations. I want to indulge you for a moment. I want to take you through three timelines with one word, change. When I said change, I took you through the past, the present and the future because all three of those things happened a few seconds ago. What I want to ask you is, did you pay attention to a red object in the room, a brown object in the room? Did you pay attention to what you're smelling, what you're hearing, what you're seeing, what you're feeling? All of those things influence how we see the future, how we experience the future. And if we're not paying attention to all of our surroundings and our environment and being present, we can't have a very good trajectory of where the future is going. With that being said, I am absolutely privileged to invite my friend Franz van der Kolf with us again. If you look and scroll up, you will find him. We've interviewed him before. We we spoke about African storytelling. And I wanted to bring Franz back so that we can have a discussion as he is the wizard of African storytelling. And just look at the world as it is now, as it is today, and apply a layer of consciousness in terms of being aware of what is happening in our surroundings, where is the wisdom, and what can we learn from our continent, Africa. Without further ado, a warm welcome, Franz. So good to have you here. Thanks, Carmen, and it's wonderful to be here. Thanks for inviting me. Always a pleasure. (laughs) Okay, I'm going to kick off the conversation and, you know, let's just have fun with this this process. Um, I've started reading this amazing book, We Were Made for These Times. It's by Kara Jewel Lingo. It's really a phenomenal book. And she shares this 10 lessons for moving through change, loss and disruption. And there's something that I really want to highlight here is our fear of change and resistance to change are sleeping just beneath the surface. The more we bring them to the conscious awareness and make point to look at them clearly, the less we will be controlled by our fear of change. According to James Baldwin in this book, renewal becomes impossible if one supposes things to be constant that are not. Safety, for example, or money or power, one clings to the chimeras by which one can only be betrayed and the entire hope, the entire possibility of freedom disappears. And it reminds me of this whole concept of we don't like change. We want to look new all the time. Um, we Botox ourselves. We put fillers. I'm just speaking for, for a crowd here. You know, we, we do things to keep ourselves young. But at the same time, it's because we don't want to accept that we're getting older and we don't want to accept this. But at the same time, is also we need to, to pay attention to the fact that if we walk in the woods and we see 
a plant it's that's dying if it dies a new plant will um, sprout the next morning as we say in Afrikaans if one person passes away their bread becomes somebody else's bread the next day so so it's very we we need to look at change in in perspective but I also feel that there's this element that's missing you see we have two choices to make in, in life power of love or the love of power and right now I see only the love of power around us. And that's, I think, why we're seeing such a huge, over 70% of our global population are not happy in their jobs. They don't like what they're doing. They have anxiety. They want to leave. They can no longer handle this power. And this power is not coming from a business, a brand. It's a few, I believe, that are ruling that narrative. And something feels like everything is coming to the light. And something's got to change and something's got to shift. And France, I want to, to give you the floor and, and please share your insights from an African perspective. Right. So firstly, Carmen, we can learn so much from the African continent and from the history of the African continent. It's that Western belief of scarcity. Eh? Everything is scarce. We must fight for everything. We must own everything. We must hoard everything. And, and, and that, unfortunately, fits so well with the male ego. Hey, let's fight, <laughs> let's destroy, let's bring in. It's, if you think about it, what are we celebrating in Western history? Warriors. They're all warriors. It's Napoleon mm. and the Greeks and the Romans, and they're all destroy and destructive. It's all so our children at school have to learn about all these. The more you killed, the more famous you are, the better warrior, the more we should know about you. Hey. But what happened in Africa? In Africa, it was a continent of abundance. Fruit, the trees, you could hunt if you needed meat. You could live on the, from the soil. Children in villages played in the rivers. And, and and this picture that we were that were, was painted about Africa, you know that it's a place with sick children and and happy animals, and everybody hasn't got food to eat. Not true at all. Not true at all. There was more than enough from everybody. It was Europe that came when they colonized and introduced this, and when slavery started, and introduced this concept of scarcity. Nobody ever hoarded in Africa. It was not a concept. Greed was not a concept. Greed was introduced when we brought, brought slavery into the system and that bartering system. And now we'll pay you more than your neighbor. You'll have more. Go and catch for us all those, those sort of things. But the wisdom, and I want to share one piece of history with you. A man called Mansa Musa, the, the king of Mali in the 1200s. So... Mansa believed in wisdom. He believed in knowledge. He believed that we had to listen, that we had to learn from each other, that we had to become wiser. And he wanted, his vision was to have the most knowledgeable kingdom in the world. He also brought people from elsewhere to come and speak to his people in Mali. He built libraries, he built university, he built places of learning. That was what was happening in Timbuktu. He then decided he wanted to do, he was Muslim, his holy hajj, and he wanted to go to Mecca. Now, you know, 
We've got West Africa here on this side. You've got to cross the Sahara Desert all the way through Egypt to get to Mecca. But no problem for Mansa. He gathered 60,000 people and many camels and a thousand donkeys laden with gold. And off they went, crossed the Sahara Desert. They arrived in Cairo one fine morning. I'm not sure what the people in Cairo did in those days, but say they were sitting on their verandas and in walked this very tall, very dark, very well-dressed man. And what did he do? He dished out gold to all and sunder. And this is true. And he crashed the Egyptian money market because there was no need for local money. Everybody had gold. First time in history and the only time that that's been done by one person. Then he went off to Mecca and he came all the way back to Timbuktu. But why am I sharing this? Hmm. Not because of the fact that he had a lot of money and that it was a rich kingdom, they had gold. Not because he dished out the money in Egypt. The fact is that they didn't destroy anything on this journey. They simply gave. Musa didn't say, oh, you're a different color to me or your religion is different, I must kill you. He said, no, let's listen to you. Tell me what makes you, what, what you are all about. Tell me about what you do. I'm interested. I want to learn. I want to learn about new things and different things, things that are different to me. That's the African way. Eh? Hmm. It is the way of learning from each other. It is not destructive. It is the way of talking to each other. It's that wonderful hospitality eh, that we have in Africa. Come, villages, yeah, still today, they cook extra food every day just because there might be visitors. And if we get visitors, we have to share with visitors. Eh? And we must make them feel at home when they visit us. So what did the West bring into our thing? No, you must fight. If they don't look like you, kill them. If they don't believe like you, you must get rid of them immediately. They still do it today, as you know. It's happening. This was never an African thing. But it became an African thing, unfortunately, because we adopted a lot of it. So we need to try and revive what was here before. Women in Africa. There was matriarchal society. Eh? We have absolute evidence that women in places like Egypt and the Kingdom of Kush were in charge of property, finances, legal issues. That was all there. But what happened? colonialization, the slavery, that whole era brought to us this image of the Victorian woman. Eh? We must all mm. be like that. You don't say a word, you stay in the back. In the background, the man is the powerful one. Eh? That was not African. It never was. Africa was about strong women. That, who led the struggle in South Africa? Strong women. Yet again, the men were talking and sitting on the verandas. And, and there was the women that had held this thing together. And that brings me to the wisdom of the woman. Eh? Mm -hmm. And the way women approach things, it is more caring, is it not? It is more inclusive. It is more collaborative. And that is what we need so much of. But then also remember the damage that's been done by the male. Because I have seen in my corporate life, oh, let's promote her because she's just like us. So we're choosing a woman for a particular type of male attribute that 
that's aggressive and that's power hungry. And then we say, let's promote them. If you are yourself, often the male in charge will say, well, you know, not not good for us. Eh? We're looking for things. So not only do we destroy what's not lo- like us, we're also looking for those that are acting like us that we can bring into our power circle. It's all of this that we need to change. Mm-hmm. Your point on change, just let's touch on that quickly. Africa was used to a change because it is a slower, more healthy change. Is there anything wrong with just sitting under the tree eating the mango for a couple of hours. Why do we always have to rush? You know, it's this thing about you to be successful. You must be working 96 hours and you must do this and you must do that. It's that whole, this story, you know, completely. And no wonder people don't want to work. And also, what are we doing by working? We are making a couple of people obscenely wealthy and the rest stay fairly poor in the bigger scheme of things. You know, it's now the Elon Musk's and those sort of billions. That's the success story. And they've got to be surrounded by people that get them there. So no wonder we are, we're unhappy. We don't have mm. quiet time. We don't take time to sit under the tree. We don't take time to listen to the grandmothers. You know, if I go across the continent, I speak to young people, I say, who's the most important person in your life? Inevitably, nine out of ten times, France, my grandmother. Why? Oh, she loves me. She tells me stories. She sits with me next to the fire. We've lost all of that, eh? Yeah. What, why? <laughs> you know, it's, it's so fascinating that you, you brought that up. Um, I was actually thinking about it earlier this morning, um, how I miss my gran. Um, mm. You know, my gran used to um, always, we used to sit um, in the afternoons after school um, and she would make me my sandwiches and she would share with me stories about the family and I used to love ghost stories. So I used to ask Oma, Oma, please share some ghost stories with me. And I used to be fascinated by it. And she used to always have a story with a lesson for me. And today I can still remember those, those stories and the lessons. And sometimes when I wash clothing or I do something, I go, how did my grand always get the clothing to be so white? Ancient um, hacks and tricks using nature to clean certain things with instead of using product from a shelf she used to use natural um, type of products to clean things like lemon you know and i said to my mom a while ago um kissy we should start like a little book that we can just like keep track of everything all these little hacks and tricks and stuff like oma did and what you did you know how to do a fly trap with liver like all these kind of kind of things that that we we don't necessarily you know i feel like life has become so commercialized i saw something very shocking to me um the other day not that i'm trying to highlight a specific brand because i believe that many many businesses are guilty of this is um unilever has an incredible campaign at the moment um about um this this young this young uh, girl that's it really strikes you this young girl that um, watches everything happening on social media and she starts developing a eating disorder and um the mom trying to connect with her daughter and you know trying to send the message clear of the toxicity that's happening online and beyond that 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 wall um is october last year unilever had to pull off all almost all of their 
um, hair products off the shelf because of toxic um, products that's in it. Yet we don't hear about that. Indeed. But we see campaigns, and I mean, you, you're a marketer, right? Um, and and you understand, you know, the passion that goes into it. And it sometimes concerns me of the power that we hold to actually overlook negative negative things and not addressing certain things and collaborating with consumers that use our products. Yet we deceive them. We Indeed. I don't know what your view is on that. Well. <sighs> What I would like to say is that it's all in the collaboration, is it not? Yes. And and we need to collaborate more, but we need to move closer mm. to our earth, to where we come from, where we, you know, we need to live closer and then collaborate. And we can use artificial intelligence in order to make it better. But unfortunately, what we are doing currently and the example of the products and whatever is it is again the profit. Eh? Now, I'm not saying we shouldn't make a profit. We're not naive. But mm. we are saying there are ways of making profit eh? and there are inclusive, collaborative ways of making profit that are so much better for everyone and so much more sustainable. And that, you know, Oliver Mtukudzi, the musician, Zimbabwean musician, said, we've got to leave the footprints. Eh? We've got to leave yeah. those footprints that will create a good path for the young people to walk. And we're certainly not doing anything because we're too greedy. And we will market and sell anything just to have... A CEO said to me the other day, France, yes, but you must remember, I'm only as good as my next result. Now, if you are thinking you're only as good as your next result, you shouldn't be a CEO because you should be catering for the results for 20 to 30 to 40 years 100. to come. And to leave a good space for your children and the young people and the youth of Africa. You know, in 10 years' time, one out of four youths are going to be African. It's an enormous place, but we've got to rebalance this a bit. Eh? We've got to get back to loving our continent firstly, to loving mm -hmm. what it stands for, the collaboration it stands for, the wisdom it has, the respect for nature it stands for. And then, because we've never had on this continent this big-scale farming that we have that was introduced, hunting. So if you go back to the Ku and the Sun people, eh, they hunted only for what they needed. So they were a clan, they would only hunt one animal. And only ever, there might be six standing in front of them, easy to hunt. They didn't, only one, and only a male animal. Because if you started hunting the female animals, they said that you will very soon run out of food. When they first arrived in the Kalahari Desert, there's those little plants with the roots that you eat to quench your thirst. And obviously they didn't know the heat. They were thirsty. They came across these plants. They only took every second one because the other one you had to leave for people coming behind you. Now, they didn't know whether people were coming or when they would be coming, but if somebody comes, we must leave for them. Those are the philosophies of our continent. Mm. So hunting. A big game hunter came in about 1850 from England and started shooting left, right and center and took 30 tons of trophies home with him. And the locals said, what are you doing? You can't eat this. You're leaving it here. He said, no, I'm going to show them at home how brave I am. Look at what I did and how many animals I could kill. 
That's the Western way. Eh? That was never the African way. And it's the African way that we need to go back to. But we need to instill pride in our children eh? because the world's been so negative about Africa. We've had so much noise about how bad it is, how hungry it is, how terrible, how primitive, all of those sort of things. And then you find this enormous, beautiful wisdom. Just think of Ubuntu. Mm -hmm. I am because you are. And what that is all about is probably the most beautiful philosophy in the world. It's yeah. African. Eh? It's African. We've got to get back to that. And as I said, Carmen, we've got to slow down. There is no need for this freneticism that we've got across. the. There is no need for it. And therewith comes this hunger for power eh? that feeds mostly this male ego that mm. thrives on this this power thing you know back to our warrior conditioned from children that we should be the great warrior and that we should be successful like the warrior eh? this sort of thing and then one forgets your values then mm. you forget the collaboration then you forget to interact and to make sure that you leave the footprints that is good for the people who come after you. And it's a difficult task because this greed and scarcity and all of that is so entrenched in how we live. We're going to have to start almost right from the beginning, if you know, yeah. with our children and take them around, our children that love their grandmothers, and have the conversations about how important that grandmother is. And as you said, how important the traditional ways are. Mm. Because yeah. they are friendly to nature. Because they do it well and they are sustainable. All those sort of things. Eh? I absolutely um, love that. I, I was watching a documentary the other day um, which I would like to share with you. It, um, you probably know this. <laughs> um, but they were talking about the, the history of fire. So in the beginning, when, when the human race, um, you know, evolved on, on the planet, hmm. they were actually being hunted. <laughs> and what happened was they believed that fire was from the gods. So they took the fire and um, they used it to, to ward off all of the animals. And when it rained, they had to hide in a cave because otherwise, um, you know, they all at danger. And um, as time progressed, they found out how they can actually, what else can they do with fire? And they realized that they can actually create um, weapons by melting metal. And that is how metal started evolving. So they started making bigger fires. From making bigger fires they made bigger weapons and so it all evolves and if we look from the past to where we are now is something that might have been you know we, we first we create our tools and then our tools shape us and when these tools were created maybe it had good intent in the beginning but as time progressed um fire was created by people like, for example, Hitler. Um, and if you look at um, Einstein, um, when he was creating the nu uh, nuclear weapons, it was trying to stop the, the this war that was this terrible war that was happening. But then that nuclear is now sitting in the hands of the most powerful people in the world. Oh, so we're fighting fire with fire. And it's again, this whole power thing. And... Um, 
And and I totally believe that, you know, we have to leave all those behind. I mean, like if I listen to some of my my friends and if I, I you know, I'm, I'm a researcher and ethnographer. Um, it's important for me to understand humanity and how they are perceiving life in order for us to create businesses and solutions and products and services and enhancing communities and people. Um, I never believe in doing it from the boardroom side. It's always the other way for me. Um, and I started going out talking to people and you know what they all say is I, I have children crying day and night about their fearful future. Some spiritual leaders believe that in the next 10, 20 years, young adults of the age of 25 years old are going to commit suicide. It's there because they are not going to have any hope because of what we are leaving behind. So how are we participating in this future? Africa's continent is a young continent. We've got youth, um, 70% of our continent, um, you know, will be under the age of 25. Um, and I think we're already at that stat already. So yeah. I think it's 19. Isn't it 19? No, it's 65% of, of, of all Africans at the moment are under the age of 25. Yeah, okay. I, I knew I had it somewhere around there. I, have, I, I haven't checked the latest stats. But with that being said, that is a lot of young people that are inheriting a world that we all participated in. And I believe that it's all, all of us, it's our duty to do something. Even if you make a decision, like I was watching a Come Dine With Me episode the other day, where what good are you doing so the one lady says she takes her plants and she goes and showers and she puts her plant in the shower with her to to save water the other person said i take my extra bread and then i go and feed the birds with it and this guy said but listen if you do that you're actually creating a demand because you're still using up the bread and you're creating a, a, a demand for the bread because you're using all of the bread so you have to look at how you are contributing to to make less impact on this planet and leave something behind for the young people because exactly. what do they have to look forward to exactly and carmen this is a very important point because 65 percent of our people below the age of 25 as i say in the future we're going to not so near future we're going to have one out of every four youths from this continent but what are we sending our youth into unemployment this power issue this environment that you have to be destructive to be successful that's what we created it lies again in the collaboration eh? mm -hmm. we need to create because this can be very dangerous if we have all this of this big part of our population, they can grow up and have no jobs. We've got enormous, enormous uh, uh, joblessness on our continent. And we, we, we are not creating meaning and purpose for our young people. And mm -hmm. that should be our focus entirely. Because if we have a continent with all those young people, where they have meaning and purpose, where we've got opportunities for them, we will thrive. But if we are sending them into the current continent, where there are no, and this is world, where there are no opportunities, very little to do, and you are not sure what tomorrow is going to bring you uncertainty, then we have a problem on our hands. 
Because inequality, as we have at the moment, is not friends with peace and prosperity. Eh? Mm. You can't create a peaceful environment if you have this type of inequality. We have to fix that. But nobody is seeing that. And how do we fix that? We fix that by creating ownership. We fix that by, by, by looking after small businesses, big business, giving 25-30% of their supply chain to small businesses. We ensure that we promote entrepreneurship and that we create the market that's going to be beneficial to that entrepreneurship. Africa mm. is a continent of entrepreneurs. When the, the, they were fighting in Europe, entrepreneurs were thriving on the African continent many centuries ago. The Queen of Sheba, entrepreneurship. Yes. The Kingdom of Kush, entrepreneurship. Everybody came and traded with Africa. You don't have big warriors in the history of Africa. It wasn't a fighting place. There was enough space. If you didn't like it here, you could go over there. We had no borders. You know the borders were created in Germany in 1885, the African borders as we know them. And when the colonial people decided that we need to now own parts of Africa, and they drew the borders and they handed it all out. There was not one African present at that meeting. But in any case, back to our children <laughs> and our youth. We have to create a place where our youth, youth can thrive. Otherwise, mm. we're going to be in trouble. And particularly my generation. Wow, we've messed up. eh? We've yeah. messed up big time. And we need to fix it. And we can yeah. fix it. But it's got to be a collaborative, focused pan-African effort eh, to make this happen. We can't have one country doing something here in another country. We've got to get rid of this nonsense. We must work together as Africans. We must think common vision for the whole of our continent and we can set the pace and we can bring a more peaceful, a more uh, a balanced approach to the world. Yeah. But you know what? People don't want to learn from Africa because they say Africans know nothing. When the city of the, the kingdom of Zimbabwe, the big Zimbabwean ruins were discovered, what did the Europeans say, the, the historians? They wrote in the books, Phoenicians came. And yeah. Phoenicians built this place because Africans can't do it, you see. But then we go back and we've had these incredible kingdoms on this continent, peaceful kingdoms. Now, I'm not saying there weren't skirmishes and the odd fights. When you put humans, sometimes they fight. But no big wars, no mass destruction. So we have so much that we can show and teach the world. But we have to make a concerted effort on creating a better space for our children. There are many of them. Yeah. They deserve it, and we should be giving it to them. And then you have these selfish corporations, and I've mentioned it before, but who the CEO tells me that I'm only as good as my next result. So I am going to do whatever is necessary, even if I have to destroy people in the process, to make yeah. my next result. That is un-African. And mm. that is not good leadership. You know, I always say, if you want to be a good leader in Africa, you need to do, and I, the, the words I use are from Isi Zulu because it describes it better. In Zulu, when you greet somebody, you say Saubona. It means I see you. So if you, as a leader, greet your people because you are seeing them, because you are acknowledging them, we are already on the right track. Secondly, practice Ubuntu. 
because if I'm here, because you are here, if we all here interdependently because of each other, we are going to be more successful as a continent. And then lastly, Sabambi Sana and Kulumi Sana. Work together and talk together. Communicate with each other. Talk together and work together. And that to me is the essence. If we can do that as African leaders, we'll move forward. Eh? Thank you for sharing that wisdom. I just want to leave this in parting thought as well, is that a leader without wisdom is dangerous, but a wise person without leadership is useless. But if they work together, they are unstoppable. Indeed. And, um, you know, listening to that, um, also just listening to the story of um, Mansa Musa, you know, it reminds me of what's going on with BRICS at the moment. Um, what you mentioned earlier is like we are, we are taking our control back that we want, don't want a global currency. We want to use our land and our minerals um, as, a, as a currency. And, you know, I'm not, um, I know that it's going to be tough. And I, I almost feel like we need to have foresight intelligence. And everybody has that. And you don't need to just rely on futurists. We all have foresight intelligence. If we look at the global economy and how everything is collapsing, if, if we look at BRICS, when 60% of the populations or, or of the global population sits under BRICS, if that thing takes off, banks will collapse. They might not want to see it now, but it's a reality. Life is not going to be the same as, as it is. We're seeing, I mean, I don't know if you saw what happened in Italy the other day. Um, these massive floods. The planet is going, I've had enough of this. I don't want this. And we're pretending that global, you know, that the climate crisis is not an issue. It's a massive issue. But I think also if we look at the Native Americans, the Native Americans, I'm always fascinated by how they treat the land they actually gift the land fruits and they go and dig holes and they have ceremonies where they go and actually put um, vegetables, flowers and seeds and like compost inside all of and plant trees. And every time when there's negativity happening in the world, they go and plant a tree because they're giving back to the planet to honor this planet of what has Indeed. been taken away from them. And for me, that is such a beautiful gesture, gesture. you know, Sometimes I, I wish that organizations will take the initiative to say, hey, we are actually going to do, for everything that you do, we're actually going to, if we're going to put fiber in, our com in, in your community, or we're putting in 6G now, we're going to make that sure that 6G is available to people in other communities. If we're going to put solar panels on our buildings or demolish buildings to put new solar green buildings in place, we are going to do the same for a community close to, to where our organization is. I do believe that these things are paramount, that, that we see the interconnectedness because of we don't take care of these people. How are they going to buy from these organizations in 10 years from now if they don't have money because there's Indeed. no power, there's no gas, no fuel, no nothing, no, there's no Indeed. land that they can farm on? I mean, it's like, where's the foresight? So, so Carmen, on that, just take the example that the traditional African village sets for us. It's about living in harmony with nature. It's about mm. being close. It's about friendship it's about collaboration doing things together it's about decision making for the good of the village 
rather than for an individual like so many CEOs do now. Just, we spoke about the grandmother, just the example of the grandmother. In the village, the grandmother is a very important person. Eh? She's given that status because she's wise and because she's nurturing and because she's a mother and because she's got a lot to share. What do we do here in the suburbs and in the Western world with our grandmothers? They turn 60 and we say... You know, we're very busy. We can't. You must go to the old age home. It's going to be lovely there. There are lots of old people. They play music. You can dance. You can play bridge. And there they die of loneliness. That's how we've destroyed the fabric. And we've got to reweave the African fabric. Because it is what is going to save us at the end of the day. We've got to be closer to nature. We've got to respect each other. We've got to talk to each other, the Kalumasani, and we've got to create happiness with each other. Because surely it is far better to spend your life here on this earth happy and knowing, like Oliver said, that we're leaving the right footprints, that legacy at the end of the day. When you sit there on your veranda and you look back and you said, I spread happiness. Surely that must be a good thing. 100%. I think uh, you and I, when we bumped into each other, I did tell you, you know, I had my uh, sabbatical for a while because I really just wanted to take myself out of this noise Mm -hmm. and observe what's going on and see where's the trajectory of my life going? Where do I want to play in my career? How do I want to make a change? Even though I don't have children, I do believe that change needs to happen and I I have to play my part in that. With that being said, I wanted to also just bring in another and layer it with another insight. You know, I, although I'm not a mother, I do believe that if we look at this, this male toxicity that's happened on a very high level, that 1% that is that is running the, the powers that be, you know, that controls the world. If I look at this, um, women when they when they give birth or when they carry a child for nine months it's such an intimate thing because it's the only way is for a human being to actually be in the inside of the organs of the body and to be in touch with the heartbeat a pulse in the, and this is why i feel like africa is the pulse of the african heartbeat it, it is, is it's mother earth it's 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 femininity and mm. we need to bring that feminine feminine energy back into our lives because I feel like that is something that's lacking because we as women even become more masculine to fit into this power conundrum. To fit in, yes, because that's what you are expected to do. And you you know how the children and even young girls are brought up and boys, it's about you must win. Eh? Everything you do, you must win. You must be the best. You must win the race. You must win the rugby game. And the father stands there next to, you know, with his pride. And my son is winning. And if the son is not winning, he sulks and he walks away. The poor child is in a, you know, it's it's all, (laughs) the emphasis is all wrong because it comes back to that power. But to the women in Africa, Africa always matriarchal. We know that until Mm. Europe came and introduced this fatherland concept. This is must be a fatherland. The male is the most important. He should run the business. All evidence, and it's difficult sometimes because a lot of the African history is oral, but all evidence shows us that men and women were equal on the African continent before slavery and colonialism arrived. 
And I think that was part of the inherent health and wholesomeness of the continent. So powerful. Franz, I want to, to ask you as a parting thought for today's conscious conversation, you know, what, what would you want to leave um, behind um, for the audiences to consider, you know, just that small bite of wisdom that they can take with them? Learn from African history. Learn from the African wisdom. And let's try and apply that in our lives. And let's live the African way. And let's build a continent that's an example for everybody else in the world. We have the talent. We have the youth. We have the history that teaches us. And if we combine that with what's happening in our world currently, and we use modern technology, we can build something really, really special. Profound. Profound. Thank you so much. You've been listening to another production from Solid Gold Podcasts.